President.
However, there are specific requirements when we're establishing, and that's what's permitted. One of them being is that you know it, it requires at least a minimum of two members. Uh, and as far as who gets to appoint those individuals to the, to the committee itself and appoint the chair, you know, it goes back to the uh, CAP chair, current interim CAP chair. And uh, and we will need a motion unfortunately. You know, I know that this was yeah. maybe the most of a misunderstanding here, but yeah, for this, the purposes of the establishment of this ad hoc committee, we will have a motion made just by, you know, it will be more of a form of an appointment made by the uh, CAP chair. So that's something that will be discussed between, you know, the capture and the ad hoc committee members in this case. Uh, I don't imagine that this will require, you know, any additional work besides just reviewing, uh, you know, prospective applicants. And, you know, you may do this, uh, you know, before the applicant board meeting or after. I don't think this is going to be a time-consuming project. Yeah, I would imagine, um, even on the committee, like, uh, somebody may sit in on an interview. It might even be like the secondary interview of the candidate, um, reviewing the application to see that it's an appropriate fit, that we can make a selection that's in alignment with the goals of the program. Um, only the help system, I mean, we can do the heavy lifting part of reviewing the applications and, and getting good uh, candidates in for you, and then it's, it's really saying, yes, we that makes sense, that will work for us as well, and And of course, and by approval, it's, it's a form of a recommendation to the general cap, you know, applicant board. So you know, your job is again just to evaluate, make the recommendation based on you know your assessment, and ultimately the the applicant board will get to you know approve or ratify uh, your decision. Yeah, I would say you, it, it's not even a requirement to be at like all of the interviews. For example, there there will be a selection process that the health system can mostly take care of. Thank you so much. And you will see that she's also on the agenda as a 
potentially a new member of the board that you'll get to talk about on letter C. Did I cover somebody? You should have basically gone around and we can hear. You want to hear all of the, yeah. the board members' names? Yeah. Sure. Lucia, you want to lead them? Uh, Lucia Unhouse. Hi, Holly Austin. Richard Harvey. Eric. Sean. Mark. B. Frank Walker. And I'm Alexander. I'm one of the attorneys. So let me know how So the challenge that, that that presents is the fact that now that we have some individuals that are, have shown interest, now you know the, the uh, board will get to appoint them. So oh. it's a little bit of a, you know if you're interested, let us know now. I mean you can always uh, join the committee down the line, but ideally we we'll want to have a committee you know uh, established from the get go. Okay.
So we move to item C, which is the member nomination slash election. Um, and on this one also you have a public comment card on number on letter C. So this is where Alexander's experience is going to come in handy as to when the, you do the public comment. Yeah, so, uh, so under the California Brown Act, you can do public comments before the meeting begins, during the presentation of a topic, or at the conclusion of the meeting. Uh, in this case, you know, I think it's appropriate for uh, Loretta Medellin to uh, provide her comments on this. So, um, I guess I'll start by just introducing myself and what my role has been here at Alameda Health um, Services here. I uh, am a retired teacher of 25 years. I taught high school for 25 years. And due to a disability, I had to retire early. So, during my recovery period, Advisory Board here at Highlands, which means six points. And I've been on that for about five years. And I've also, uh, I'm an ambassador for PCORI, which is the Patient Centered Outcome Research Institute. So I'm real active in that. Um, I go to their annual meetings and um, comment whenever I can and you know, try to hook up, especially the grants that are available with doctors here that I think might possibly make advisory committee we've done a lot of outreach work uh, mainly in the area of uh, health care for the immigrants and um, that's really really dear to my heart as well um, on Dia de los Muertos this is this will be the, this, the second one the outreach that we've done where we just go down and, and just talk to the people and, and help them to feel assured that they're not going to be captured and getting them the uh, information on the health services that they need in a way that they can understand them. For example, in our committee, we have um, the men, we have a men group. And if you know anything about the men, they, they have no written language. So they don't read anything. Everything for them is spoken or it's through pictures. And so uh, one of the things that we uh, worked on, we've been working on for the last couple we have a huge population of young people here at Highlands. And just little things like that. I do the bulletin boards in Spanish and English, and sometimes, I, depending on what the CDC sends me, you know, I, I'm constantly updating that. So um, I've just enjoyed my time being retired slash involved <laughs> in the community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. 
based on the um, application um, and um, what can be um, sharing right now. Um, we would like to move for the election um, as a new town member. Are there all in favor? Or um, So I've been with Ivory One Home, which is an organization that works pretty close with the county and our 14 cities and all efforts to end homelessness. Um, for the last few years, I've been the Continuum of Care Director, and I'm proud to say I was the project manager for the this year's very large undertaking, which was the Homeless Count 2019. But in my prior life, I worked in a community health center. I directed a homeless uh, clinic in San Francisco in the Mission District, so working with undocumented immigrants who um, Homelessness was one of my passions, but I have worked in the health community health center field for a while and always very proud of the role of the consumer advisory board and also the consumer, um, what I would call community participation and governance. So I'm really excited um, to be here. Heather has been, um, you know, Heather has been a partner on our hard world because she always serves in our NOFA where we do a local competition for federal funds for homeless um, services and housing. And uh, have you been? Um, in the Healthcare for Homeless Commission with Lloyd for a year now, right? For a little bit more than a year. A little more than a year. So I'm very, very happy to share this data with you. And so um, this is a summary. We just did it for the Healthcare for Homeless Commission and the Consumer Advisory Board last week. So hope that you enjoy it. And what I'll do is I'll go through the data. But of course, feel free to raise your hands with what does that mean. Um, and the idea is to just go through the data and then and then also reflect a little bit about what is the data telling us? Because sometimes the numbers alone without accounting don't mean a lot. So, and um, just a little bit of um, a history of how we did homeless county in Alameda County for perspective, and that's where you also may see that the numbers start going up. So I think that there is uh, definitely what is happening in our county in terms of you know the rental market and our you know income not much in those uh, criminal rents, I call them. Um, but also to notice that from 2017 onwards, we changed the way we do our homeless count. So it was really, we began in 2017 to do the scouting of the entire county um, with volunteers and also uh, hiring people with live experience. And I'm very proud to say we hired 164 people with live experience this year, but our company, about 500 volunteers. So um, there was about, 700 people in addition to all of our county partners, city partners, uh, healthcare for homeless played a, a great role in helping us, some law enforcement in some jurisdictions. So we had, you know, probably about 8,000 people on the streets on January 30th to do this count. So in that way, you also can see that the numbers start creeping up also dramatically. Mm -hmm. But in a nutshell, in the last 
four years, our numbers have doubled. And, and I think that's the most important thing um, to notice. And again, I'm sure that it's not surprising to anybody in this room. Um, and also to notice, which, which makes us also uh, a very important noting, is that the majority of our population, 80%, are unsheltered and housed. So they're living, and we'll see in a minute where they're living, but they're not uh, sheltered, in part because we don't have that number of shelters. And, uh, and then it's a question at this point, do we build 8,000 units of shelter, or do we really focus into housing? And I'll show you what some of our folks have said about that. You're gonna see that uh, every city, with the exception of the city of Albany and Piedmont, um, had increases. I think Albany has a number, did it? I can remember, Albany had 35 shelter folks, but there it wasn't an increase from 2017, but every other jurisdiction in Alameda County has seen an increase, and you probably seen in the news two weeks ago, Oakland uh, shares basically 55% of the homeless population of the county. And at this point, Oakland is one of the cities in the entire uh, state of California with the um, largest per capita number of homeless people per total population. So we have a city of San Francisco, which used to be one of the highest per population, and unfortunately, Oakland is that city. Um, I also want to point out that what is interesting, um, and we saw it in 2017, much more dramatic in 2019, is the majority of people in Alameda County are living out of their vehicles, rather than living on the streets or even in encampment, meaning tent encampments. And this is very important as we do healthcare because we have to consider that we're serving people and families who are living in small cars, RVs that don't move, um, and uh, vans. Uh, with a sh very, very high number of RVs, and uh, very soon we're going to be publishing individual cities. For example, in Oakland, the numbers of RVs are really incredible. So 55% of the unhoused population is living in vehicles, 34% are living in tents, and usually when we say tents, that means also encampments, because the majority of folks are now living in, you know, um, we call it encampments, a place that will have more than two tents, together, and of course we know there are uh, curbside communities that the numbers are much, much bigger. Um, on the street outside, 20%, so there was a little bit of a decline overall, of people who live alone on the street or outside, and uh, we saw also a little decrease in abandoned buildings. can also be part of the methodology. It doesn't mean that we're gonna get in every abandoned building, so there might be more people than we think, because I'll, I'll talk a little bit, some numbers also are the result of not having, I mean, the pointing can count down in a particular way, where we may not capture certain things. And this is what we call the household breakdown and subpopulations. And because we're reporting to the federal government, much like you guys do with HRSA, we do it with HUD, um, we separate typically single adults from families and youth, and I'll tell you youth are also have, there are two populations, and also there are some populations or how HUD defines it like chronically homeless populations that HUD cares about. That's why we kind of group them in those um, subsets. Uh, but as you can see, the majority of people that were counted in the counts are single adults. Um, and I'm also gonna say the majority of a large number of men compared to women. I think the, the rate is about 60-40 uh, countywide. It might change. Today I was looking at Hayward numbers and in Hayward actually there are much more women who are uh, unhoused than men. 
typically primarily single adults. Um, so out of the 8,022 people, 7,500 um, are single adults. Um, and families, we were able to count 524 families, and as you see, the majority in our shelters. And that might be something I forgot to say. We count the, the same, we counted people that day on January 30th. We also did a count in all shelters and transitional housing programs. Um, and then our guides survey people on the street for about two and a half weeks. So a lot of this data comes from the actual visual tally, from the shelter surveys, and from the uh, unsheltered surveys we did on the street. Um, and then for accompany youth, you can see there's two tabs. I'm gonna say, when we say 29 people, that means 29 and accompanying minors. These are youth under 18. And those are pretty much the ones that we were able to survey. You know, Alameda County has at least 400 unaccompanied immigrant youth who are uh, actually considered homeless, but we were able to only sample 29. Um, and on this side, you see on the bottom, transitional age youth, we were able to count 731. So total um, between the uh, under 18 and TAE youth is 731. So that's the number of youth that we were able to count. We also counted 692 veterans, and uh, chronically homeless is a, is a weird definition that it has, but typically means people who have been homeless for more than a year, or that within a year they have been homeless more than three times. And uh, as you can see, out of 8,022, we were able probably to survey that, you know, that we came up with a number because of the people we surveyed, um, also to notice that we see more and more newly homeless people who have been lived for an entire year. And that's why our chronic homeless numbers are not that high compared with the past. And you'll see in a second why. Um, as many of you may know, and if you don't know, um, the majority of people who are impacted by homelessness are black in Alameda County in comparison to the population. And this is a statistic that is um, across the United States, so it's not just uh, Alameda County. And of course, there's a lot of reasons, uh, you know, including racism and the history of you know, housing, you know, racist housing policies and disparity, income disparity, but we need to know when we're doing this work to really uh, recognize that 47% of the population are um, African American in the county. Um, in Oakland, you're gonna see the numbers, it's about 70%. So it's something that we call addressing racial disparities and I think in health is really critical. So when you start seeing your numbers, you know, what, what is the Alameda Health, how is it taking care of black unhoused uh, folks is a very important question to ask. Are we doing that work or not? Um, Latinos uh, tend to be, you know, they're always, we're always, for some reason, we're weird on that side, right? Because that's how the Parabellum talks about us. But uh, we're 17% of the population. And here, oh yeah, mi mixed race is 14%. So the overwhelming majority of people who are impacted by homelessness are people of color. Right? That's what I have to say. San Francisco is the same way. So, so if you if you include mixed race, black folks and Latinos, the majority are people of color. Um, although 31% um, of the population uh, is Caucasian, and it varies, of course, by jurisdiction. Where you see, you know, as you go more south county, east county, you'll see um, <coughs> more. Um, 
age. Uh, this time we were able to break down also with um, seniors 60 and plus because this is the population that we're really uh, seeing to explode in the numbers of uh, people who become homeless. So you can see that um, for 10%, we were able to counter people who are 60 or, old, or older. And anybody can guess why is this? What is it? Probably things are becoming unaffordable. Well, what's the income? What's an SSI it's, rate? It's, it's nothing. I mean, it's what's the SSI rate? Who knows? I don't know, but the federal about nine hundred. Yeah. yeah, the federal poverty level right. hasn't been adjusted for how long? Well, this is this is fixed so income folks, right? People mm -hmm. on SSI, SSDI, right. an average SSDI is twelve hundred, an yeah. average SSI is nine hundred. How much is um, one bedroom medium rent in Oakland? Mm -hmm. Who can tell me right now? Just to have always perspective and understanding also when we train, you know, people in the hospital and we train because I think people have this idea that still that homelessness is something that you cost to yourself or that um, there is some uh, trait of character that we all know here is absolutely BS. And then I got a question, how many of them are still work, like working and coming home to a vehicle or something like that? Yeah, we, in the count that was not a question, but we know in an Average, and, but we have HMIS data, so we have a homeless management information system. In Alameda County, a good 35% or 40% of our people served by the system are working. We actually have a high working population. And even in the, I, I know Derek is not here, but even in the encampments, we know a lot of folks are working. So a large number. Or, something like that. or they use the vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, in, uh, uh, there is a great place, if you guys ever want to see uh, an amazing, um, safe uh, parking initiative, it's uh, Union City. It's called the Caravan Project. Oh, yeah. you go, Lloyd? Mm -hmm. I haven't gone You yet. haven't gone. It's a beautiful place yeah. to go and it check it out. It's called Caravan. Yeah. In Caravan, most of the vehicles that park there every night are folks who use their vehicles to go to work, um, leave the kids in school, and then come back at night, park, and Caravan allows them to not only park through the night, but also use bathrooms. They even have uh, rooms for the kids to do their after school. There's a large number of families. So those are all really, not only good questions, things that we should be saying because we don't say enough that uh, the folks who are unhoused are folks that basically cannot afford rent. It's a new form of homeless, it's not traditional. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you something, I've been in this world for 22 years. There were always folks who were working and uh, unhoused, but mm -hmm. right now, just the sheer numbers at this level, right? Because nobody can afford. Basically, rent is out of reach for anybody in disability. Rent is out of reach for a lot of our poor seniors and poor working class people. Um, yeah, let's. Um, couple, and then this might answer some of your questions. A uh, couple things. Um, almost 57% of people have lived in Alameda County, um, and then a large number of those folks were born and raised, you know, in the, some of the cities, whether it's Hayward or Oakland. What might have prevented homelessness, and this goes a little bit to your question, um, people say rent assistance, benefits income, meaning more income, <laughs> or having benefits, uh, employment assistance, and a much lower amount of people will say mental health services or, or medical services. So we know for some people disability is the reason for what to become homeless, but this view that mental illness caused homelessness is not so true when we looked at 
year after year, we've been doing this for 20 years, and the percentages are always very low of the amount of people with mental illness that end up on the street. Mm -hmm. Now, once you're on the street, the, the likelihood that you're going to become depressed, unsafe, oh, yeah. and traumatized mm -hmm. is, of course, pretty high. Um, and you see also that in primary causes of homelessness. If you marry lost jobs with eviction, rent increases, and incarceration, that's a much larger amount of folks who say, because of my mental health or because of my substance use, I lost my housing. Not that it, there are folks that that may be their situation, but the great majority, there are other reasons um, that they, they report. And then that, the last one is the one I wanted to force upon, is the fact that 31% uh, said this was their first episode of homelessness. So that's the number that we're feeling it is keep growing, that people for the first time become uh, these are self-reported. This is the health and disabled conditions. And when we did the survey, and I didn't tell you much about the survey, but we did 16, almost 1,700 surveys. These were done by our guides, so people with lived experience, going to encampments, going to places where people were in cars and vehicles. We also did it in the shelters. And the data that you see that is granular, where you're, we're seeing responses, of course, comes from the survey. Because in the counts, we only tally people that we see, or we tally vehicles, or we tally so we see that uh, 40%, about 40%, 39% reported uh, currently having psychiatric or emotional conditions, 30% alcohol and drug use, 30% PTSD, and 26% of chronic health problems. Um, you see the rest. And then the one below says that 42% of survey respondents reported having at least one disabled condition or more. So a lot of folks don't have just one, but typically may have more than one. And so the question that we asked, and this is, again, with everyone whom we have uh, done a plan last year, and we are actually uh, calling uh, commissions, communities, elected officials to sign up our plan because we feel that we're not responding to the level of the scale of the crisis. Um, and this is what we noticed last year before we did the count that the count now corroborates is that for every two people that become homeless, because we have homeless management information system, we look at about 12,000 people in our system. So we saw that from two people that became homeless in 2018, only one exited to housing. And when I say housing, maybe just rental assistance for two years. It doesn't mean necessarily always a permanent home, but something more permanent than the streets. And so we know that, um, we knew already that um, we have this, what I call funnel. So that if every year two people are entering, only one exiting, what happens to that? Remember that number that we start seeing? The doubling numbers, the quadrupling numbers. I mean, basically, the system continues to grow without exits. And then we looked a little bit at this year to see where that trajectory, we call it our, the trajectory. This year, was a separate from the homeless count, we look at all the people that we had in the system and saw that we had, in 2019, already 1,616 persons who became homeless for the first time in Alameda County. So with this rate that we see half through 2019, we estimate that by the end of this year, we will have 3,000 people that became homeless, and only the same number that exists because we are not adding housing. So, um, so with this rate, and this is why we want to, again, get everyone to help us with uh, scaling our response, by 2021, 
we will see an increase of 50 percent in our homeless numbers. So, in two years from now. And, and I know that when every time I say this, you know, I was my heart kind of drops and, and, and the knowledge of what, you know, how massive, by the way, I'm from South America. I grew up among encampments of millions of people, right, in, in Latin America, in Africa, and parts of Asia. That's where we grew up, so I know what that looks like. But to know it in the richest um, area of the world, because where the area right now is, it's, it's, that's where the heart pumps. But we also know that with both coordinated action, we are we will be able, and hopefully we want to push everybody to increase investments and bring solutions that really match the scale. And to close one more, I wanted to share, well, these are the three things that are in our plan, and I know that this may not be all pertinent to the work that you do in the um, Co-Applicant Board, but there's one that I want to make you aware of because Alameda Health has a lot of data on what we call the larger definition of homeless. And those of you who are working in the hospital is families who might be triple F, families who are still work, you know, living in East Oakland, Rama, and children who are still not on the streets but at the brink of. And that's the area where we want to bring attention to put put efforts on preventing people from becoming homeless. And it's not just the money that it takes to keep them housed, but also the systems that can put an eye and see, oh, this family that is coming to, you know, outpatient care. We know that they're, you know, they just received a notice that they know the landlord is hustling. How can we connect them right away so that they stay housed? Um, the idea that we really start getting subsidies to house extremely low-income people, in particular people with disabilities or fixed incomes like seniors, and then all of the interventions to scale up for people who are living outside until they can get housed. And I'll, I'll leave you with what um, we asked this question in the survey. Uh, to people who are in house, how do you think new money should be spent? We, we are actually pushing to raise, we need to raise in this county about 200 million more a year to start making a difference. We only spent 100 million in Alameda County to solve homelessness, which compared to San Francisco who spent 300 million, you can see there's not a lot you can do with 100 million. So this is what folks said. We would love to have money to just dedicate 52% to affordable rental housing and of course affordable to extremely low income folks. 38% uh, says we might need permanent help with rent subsidies because the rent the rents are not going to be done. Yeah. So nobody has that solution, right? 31% are asking us for employment training and job opportunities. 25% uh, for uh, in, in scaling up basic sanitation uh, to people who are outside. 22% substance use mental health and 20% emergency shelter. So I'm a firm believer that we must change the trajectory. And so what we're asking everybody, every group, is. Um, now that the numbers are out, what is that we as leaders are willing to do? I, I just have a remark. I heard today, just before I came here, um, this is from statistics in San Francisco, but um, if we don't find housing for individuals, we end up spending about $90,000 per person a year. That decreases to 30000 once we find them. And they were saying that's because of the 
emergency to ambulance cost. I mean, you know, all of those, right? So. And a lot of studies have been done. I mean, Alameda County studied three of them that were done in LA, that were done in Seattle, that were done in Houston, that were done in Santa Clara. So it's, it's interesting because we know that. Yeah. But it's the question is what will mobilize right. them to do something different. challenges we have is that coordinated action in Alameda County and the lack of commitment to do something coordinated. And even when we have created a homeless council, we have a continuum of care board that is looking at you know all of the strategies, some strategies that we've done that have worked to scale them up, but when there are plans that come from the concerted effort and you know community effort, then every department may have a very different idea of how to move forward. And so at the end, what is hard is the coordinated action. But I want to say, it's interesting you say that some cities are starting to talk about managing homelessness, not ending homelessness. So as the numbers keep growing, I think there is this same with you. You know, do we do we put efforts on, you know, youth homelessness? I'm glad the numbers are yet not what, you know, they're still manageable. So how do we end homelessness? How do we target one population and say, let's end homelessness for this population? Same with prevention, I think, you know, when you look at East Oakland and folks, you know, folks that know, I mean, our communities that had, you know, have been traditionally black communities, strong black communities, can we do some specific uh, prevention targeting, you know, black families? I mean, we know what it is, but this concerted effort and working in tandem is very difficult at this time. And then also prevention, because I know it's Alameda Health uh, and the health department is looking at what can we put up front because once you're assessed you only get helping if you're very disabled or you have a lot of other challenges so a lot of people become homeless first time they won't be candidates for that particular so that's a really great notice. Like this, this is a kind of odd approach but just something I've been working on and, uh, and this is speaking more towards preventative is possibly centers and all this, that's great, but this is a huge threat, and I'd like to see a lot of, it's their money, so that they do what they want, but reaching out to them to kind of help even either invest in, in these properties, because they got money, so they're not like these greedy landlords where they somebody throwing money in their way, and they just selling the property of other people, they got money. Just have somebody manage it, they spend the money, and I think that will help a lot, because it has to do with who's the landlord. That's where the biggest problem comes from, greedy landlords. It's a, it's a, we need more housing, but we need more landlords that's not greedy to push out the 
low or whoever they think is not important enough, but there was some gas money here. That's the issue for me. So and I love your idea about private, private investment from, for example, entertainers, you know, and Yeah, and once around. she wrote something yeah. in a, a Vogue magazine, because she's from Uncle, her, mom, her mother was recently on the phone with, and she's trying to find out through the arts how to do that. So I'm writing to a lot of them, and if they can invest, I mean, it's good to help them with the college and community centers, but the homelessness, that's a bigger issue. They need immediate attention. They got the money to do it. Because they're the only ones that could compete with these developers. Uh, I want to, um, if I may, I want to kind of um, connect with what you're saying. It, there's a lot of a lot of entertainers. Um, they like to, they want to do good things, and um, somebody tells them, oh, there's a boys and girls club over in this depressed area. Why don't we go over there and have a day and have a live concert? And you come up and you present them with a big check, and you do that, and you feel good, and you fly off, okay? And you go somewhere else. Uh, but but the thing about it, and a lot of them do that. But uh, but the, but the question is, is is there money being well spent, and is it focused? And what I think what you're talking about is is getting them not only just simply to invest because they invest in a lot of things um, in terms of, 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 um, of giving to the general public, but but it's not focused. It's not focused on specific needs that those communities need. Um, they they it's more general for them. It's more general. They just give money for a specific organization and that's it. And they're told this organization does this and that. And that's that's all they know about it. But it's not focused. It's not focused on real specific things that really affect the community at large. If I may answer to both of you, I think what would going back to your question. First we need Alameda County, when I say county I mean county and cities, to do a level of investment that every year that money is assured. Mm -hmm. We also gonna need private investment, whether mm -hmm. it's entertainers, you know, in San Francisco as Benioff, um Mm -hmm. They were able to get uh, through Salesforce that amount of money that made them pass. You, you guys heard about Prop C? Prop C passed through mm -hmm. the ballot, which adds to the 300 million San Francisco currently has. They're adding another 500 million in the next five years. And that was the proposition that passed because they were doing community, you know, gathering firms, and then Salesforce came and put $6 million at the end of the, at the, end of the campaign, and they, won they just won. Right now it's struggling in the ballots for, because, uh, technicalities. But I just want to say, the most important thing hopefully I leave you with is, number one, we need to convince our jurisdiction. When I say jurisdiction, I just don't mean just the county, I mean the cities too. And what happens is sometimes you have mayors who says, oh, we want to fix this, and then the solution, going back to your idea of focus, might just focus on a little tiny thing that we're going to do, and then we're happy that we're doing that. But as we saw with the numbers, we really need to go bold, go big. Big and bold is kind of our, our name. So, well, I'm Thank you for letting me be here today. I'm more than happy to come back if there's any follow-up on any other questions. I have a question, and it probably sounds really naive, and I apologize for it. No naive question. But, you know, we have, we're in the richest country. So much money is spent unnecessarily just on stuff. Why can't we get more money from our government? Does your does the county or the state request so much money from the government 
How do we get money from the government? I, I don't know how the money comes down to the states and then is distributed to the counties. I think it's a really good question, and, and maybe for me to close is to say, historically, the federal government, through HUD, um, there were investments, and I think Lois knows when we were doing housing for people with AIDS, and we were doing it uh, housing throughout until, the, I would say, the late 1980s. The federal government put most of the money on subsidizing, you know, whether it was the Section 8 vouchers, subsidizing sites, or subsidizing new housing. There hasn't been any new housing built in the United States, new housing by the federal government since 1980, so none. So what they did is they invested, and by the way, it was not just the Republicans and the Democrats, no, but no. all funding went down all to the point that at this point, we're really, but what do we get from HUD? I'll tell you, that's what we do with the North Fountain Heather. We get uh, for Alameda County about $38 million each year to fund things that are already existing, so to fund subsidies to people who are housed right now very few for transitional housing. That's it, we call it like the little piece of the pie. So from the federal point, federal point of view, it continues to be a little, just a little investment, almost nada. The state of California has not invested in homelessness until last year for the first time, when we had the first keep and sesh funding, which was half a million, I believe, or a million. I mean, it's a joke. And then locally, in particular, Alameda County has mostly survived and lived out of what the feds were spending out. And so that's what we only, when I say we spent 100 million, 100 million minus the 40 from the feds is about to, just county does not spend money on people. And then the jurisdictions, the cities, we're always counting with the county. So we're in a paradigm, we're probably one of the most underfunded counties, including the cities, when it comes to addressing housing and homelessness throughout California, of the big cities and the big counties. So I hope I, it was not a dumb question, it's a very important one. So the federal government defunded completely in the late 80s. And then the only other thing is, as, you, as we know not right now in the middle of this, it's not a crisis by the way, this is by design. When people say the housing crisis, by design at this point, who invest, talking about, you were talking about the land, who invest is the people who have a lot of money and they buy entire neighborhoods. That's what's happening in yeah, New York. Oh, yeah. The last <laughs> rental, the last rental um, markets that are where there are low-income housing or housing that is affordable, they come and they try to get the landlords, we want to buy this entire block, and then they flip those houses to yeah. sell them or to rent them at three, four thousand dollars a piece. That's what's happening in the Tenderloin happening across the United States. I think we yeah. also need to have that perspective, uh, but we can only influence ours. <laughs> well, is there anything that is there anything that your organization can do, or people of the county, the head of the county, can do for people that that are not the working poor? What can be done for them? Because we know that people are greedy, and they're going to continue to go up on the rent. So. So what I would love you guys is to go www.everyonehome.org and look at our plan. It's called a strategic plan. We would love individuals and groups to sign on. Uh, we haven't got the county yet to sign on. We're working on it. That's one later. But we have City of Berkeley has signed on. We have City of Alameda signed on. We have groups and organizations. But you can individually also take a look at it because that's what we can do right now. What we can do is to sign on the plan because our idea is housing with a kosher ballot initiative that will raise funds 
Uh, we're looking at 
why why are we letting these guys dictate who can live where uh, when um, they're they're from Chicago, Portland, or in, in in the building I live in from Chicago, coming in and building buildings uh, in my community and not allowing um, any set asides and um, and doing uh, willy nilly what they please and. See, Berkeley is just sitting there going, okay, well, we'll collect the money from you for the housing fund. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. But the housing fund is just sitting there, and nothing's being done with the housing fund because Berkeley doesn't know what to do with it. And I keep telling you this, buy, buy some of the abandoned buildings, abandoned spaces that these guys are already buying up. We can buy, we can get, we can get in, um, in competition with the very same developers um, as a city and let the city of Berkeley be landlords for a change right. and let them dictate what goes on in, in housing and not just let uh, and not allow outside people dictate to them. Exactly. And um, it's very frustrating because because uh, the city, a lot of people in the city council and in um, Berkeley city government are not stupid. They know exactly what's going on and it's really frustrating when we know they know
request for funding from HRSA um, that Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program does on behalf of their program, which includes us as the subrecipient. So we provided them with all the documentation that they need for that, and at the recent commission meeting, they, the commission approved, they had a motion to approve the submission of the SAC. So the, the um, commission does that action to submit the grant to HRSA on our behalf because we're a subrecipient. Um, just an update on our mobile health. Mobile health is one of the ways that we outreach to patients who are experiencing homelessness out in the field, and it's been on hold, uh, or I should say, it's been it's been it's been on on, on low low gear for about a year now um, because of some changes in staffing over at Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program because it's a collaborative effort to serve via the mobile health service line. We do it together, and working on redesigning it and we are hopeful that we will have it back at its normal speed in September. I will say that as of yet, I do not have confirmation that that will happen. So that's where we're at. Um, and working with our um, partners at Alameda, Alameda County Health for the Homeless Program, um, we're submitting our data and all of the monthly utilization is pretty much on target than what we expect with the exception of that mobile system. The mobile system is lower. Um, mobile serves about 1,000 patients per year, and, and it's uh, at about 50% right now of its capacity. Uh, we have a new electronic health system that's gonna be launched on September 29th, and so a lot of work right now is happening with that. Um, and I do mention that all of the mobile health, all of the Alameda Health System mobile staff are uh, currently undergoing their And then also, as you guys, you formed your ad hoc committee, and that's because you know we are actively now seeking a director. So that is the extent of my report. Do you guys have any questions or anything else around that? Okay, did last, does everybody, did anybody need a stretch? Because we're about to talk about budget again, and I just want to make sure that it's been a <laughs> dinner and that you've got, you know, some energy. Because this might be a little less exciting. <laughs> presentation and I've saved it for the end. Maybe, you know, there's some coffee. Yeah. <laughs> right there. I got my coffee. Yeah. Okay. So just as a reminder, we already did part one of the presentation. So I've included this. We did part one. We talked about some vocabulary. And the purpose of this one, this presentation today, is kind of to talk a little bit about how we do what we do with our budget. That's the focus of today. Last time was vocabulary and big picture stuff. What is a budget? How does it work? Now, this is our budget and this is how we made it work. Still without all of the specific numbers, I hope that next month you all be saying, this is what, how we cut it this time. Now, do you guys want to acknowledge it in some formal way? But today it's still about the how is it done and understanding where all of this stuff comes from. 
different timelines that we work with. Depending on the organization, there are different timelines we need to pay attention to. So we have that fiscal year I think we talked about. It's July 1st to June 30th. We have the HRSA grant period. That is January 1st through December 31st. It says 30, 30th there. That just you know, there are 31 days in December. Um, and then you have the Alameda County contract period, same type of exists. Um, and it's annually, uh, and it, it matches the HRSA grant period. This can sometimes cause us challenges when we're creating our budget documents because we're creating budget documents specifically for HRSA and the county. And those are separate from the ones that we might be creating for our agency to operate. They're on different calendars. Okay? So that's a, one of the things that makes it hard. There's a lot of ways that we are working with our budget. That's this reporting here. We have monthly invoices that we submit to Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program that we say we have spent this much money, please give us this much money back, and they do so. We have to provide them with um, uh, what's called a budget period progress report, and that's usually in July of every year. This year, because it was also the submission of the SAC, it, it was that. It was to go into the SAC, but it was the same format. Um, and then we have what's called the Uniform Data Systems, the UDS report, and this is also on a calendar year. It's generally around mid-February that it's due, so we're working with information all the way up until December 31st, and then we have a very quick turnaround to take all of the information from that calendar year and put it into a report called UDS that's submitted to HRSA. Our information is a combination of what happens at Alameda Health System and what happens to the big picture program, Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. Because again, we're the subrecipient, so we're just a part of the bigger picture. We don't submit separately. When HRSA sees all the numbers, they don't say, see this part is Alameda Health System and this part is other stuff. They just see the whole Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program as represented by the county. But the county does see our part, and they make it work with their part put it all together. So even once they submit things, if we've submitted something to them, they may make changes and adjustments because it gets into it gets put into the mix with all of their own stuff. And there are rules you have to follow and it needs to look similar. So it's not always exactly neat and tidy. Um, HRSA reviews it in March and will give us feedback on what they think doesn't look quite right or want some explanations of how things went, um, depending on how we submit it, and then we are wrapped up with that by then uh, mid-March. Okay, so I'm going to do a real quick review of some vocabulary that I'm going to use in the next slide. Remember, our budget is that estimate of income expenses. We talk about our scope of projects, that's our sites and services in relationship to HRSA. And grant funds are, in, in this case, when we're talking about the budget, I'm going to talk about grant funds that are very specific to um, direct services that come from Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. In this case, they include HRSA dollars and some non-HRSA dollars, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then there's non-grant funds, things that aren't related to grants and where we have program income. So we reviewed that last time, so that's just a quick, not to use it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the contract budget. We have a contract with um, Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, and it's got very specific dollars, and they're kind of described in here. Um, there are some limitations because the money that the county is giving us comes from HRSA, and so sometimes HRSA is going to put rules on that, and then sometimes the county is going to put rules on that too. So we have to kind of function within those rules. 
Some of the examples of the rules that would be set forth by HRSA are salary caps. So for example, they have a salary cap for physician positions. We're allowed to hire physicians and have medical directors that um, make more money than what is the salary cap, but that's the maximum amount that we would be able to bill HRSA for um, so that we can stay competitively <laughs> salaried in the Bay Area. Um, so remember, those are federal dollars. This is California. Sometimes there's a discrepancy, but salary caps exist. And so that would be mean that if we decide we're going to have a salary higher than HRSA allows, then we need to find money from someplace else to fill that gap. Um, the CAB and the Commission have kind of review and approval and authority over this budget. We already talked about the contract period. When we talk about our contract also, this is where I said, you know, some of it from the county is going to be HRSA funds, but sometimes they get money from someplace else to give to us also. And on this contract that we have with them currently, they have done that. So we have a direct expenses from them of $785,176. And next month, what I would plan to show you is how that money is scheduled to be spent for each position, and you'll see what that looks like. Um, but, but when we're talking about... Um, the budget that you'll approve and have authority over, this is one of the primary budgets that you have real oversight of, where you could look at it and say, well, this is great for this year because it's already a done deal. I mean, at this point you'll say, great, we've adopted what you said you were gonna do because it's already happened before you existed. But you might wanna look at it and decide, is this how we want to run this part of the program? Because then every year what we do is we go back to Alameda County Healthcare for the homeless and we can negotiate. We can say, that's great, and we really, our commission, our, our cab, would like to do something else a little bit differently. They have some other ideas. How do you guys feel about that? And it becomes a negotiation between the four positions. Does that make sense? Yeah. One quick question. Mm -hmm. um, can we not, can we at any time make any budget requests? Um, so the, once the budget is set, there's an expectation that that money is going to be used for what we set it to be. If you wanted that, that money to be used differently, we would need to negotiate with the county. It's not, kind of like it's not your money per se. What you would want to do though is if you had a request, if you wanted money to be used a certain way, it's the negotiation for next year. You'd like it to be something else. Um, you think that the mobile, you've decided that mobile is not financially sustainable, it's not working well, you'd rather use the funds for um, having community health outreach workers one assigned to every clinic to serve patients experiencing homelessness at the brick and mortar clinics because mobile, there's nobody, nobody we can get to anymore, I don't know, you know, some bold dramatic thing happens and you say, never mind mobile. Again, they are the are the grantor. We are the grantee. There are requirements we have to follow, and there's opportunities for negotiation. Yeah. So that funding mm -hmm. is for mobile health. Most of this Most does of go towards mobile health direct services. Yes. And does any of that money is it all used for services and uh, salaries? Mm -hmm. Most of it is. So next month when we come back, I'm going to have the whole breakdown for you of how much is salary, how much is uh, 
benefits related to salary, how much of it is, um, you know, like the wire wireless communications that are needed for mobile to run, or the maintenance of the mobile, um, the pharmaceuticals that are needed for mobile, you'll see that, that 785,000 broken down. And I, I don't know, but I remember when there was mobile health, I think through, how many times? Mm -hmm. That there were funds, I don't know if they came from healthcare for the homeless, but funds for like emergency housing or for FEMA, like from. Yeah, I wouldn't be in this budget. Okay. That would be usually what happens is our team um, works with them in order to leverage those funds. Will that be talked about in here? Or? That would be kind of the what the staff are doing to serve patients experiencing homelessness. Um, if you would decide, if you said you really want to make sure that the staff has access to those funds and you want them in our budget directly from the county, then I mean, yeah, we, it's like we can always ask. Um, but yeah, you'll see it. You'll see it spelled out. But this is specifically the contract. Okay. Okay. So this is going to be very different now from the rest of the budget. This is very clean. Very clear. There's an invoice. There's a person with a name attached to it. You can see the money being spent. You've got receipts. Like it's very clean. Simple. Seven hundred eighty-five thousand dollars. We know exactly where it all goes and who it's all for. Okay. This is the scope of project budget. This is not clean. This is complex. This is very difficult to see the receipts for. Um, so this is a reminder, it's, it's the revenue and expenses related to the entire scope of project at Alameda Health System. There's the county, they have all their stuff too, but when we're here in this room, we're talking about that which is ours of Alameda Health System. And the entire scope of project, remember, is now not just mobile services where we have this direct money that we can spend for this, but this is East Mount Loma Center, Hayward, same day center, Highland, all the specialty clinics, and any time a patient walks in our doors who's experiencing homelessness and is seen at one of those clinics, that's now in scope. And we have to figure out how to then create an expense related to that visit and an, an income related to that visit. It's an estimate. It's a projection. It's not this tidy line with receipts. And this person costs this much. It's, it's, there. it's not tidy. Um, we report it using the UDS report annually, and then they put their stuff mixed with ours and they give it to HRSA. That's how it works. What's the I'm UDS? Gonna, UDS is the Uniform Data System. It's just the, the name of the program that HRSA uses for us to report our information. Um, and they've got certain requirements. They're getting information um, from us about um, how many patients were served, what the um, age breakdown is, what were, how many people had this condition, how many people had that condition. Uh, of the people with this condition, how many of them had an A1C over nine, which is a diabetes metric. Of people with this condition who are African American, how many of them had high blood pressure over X. It's, it's very detailed and our, um, we're excited about EPIC because that information is gonna be able to flow much more smoothly than it has in the past. We do always have that in our electronic health system, but um, it, I'm just really excited about it. Do they do the same thing for each other as they do in the U.S.? They don't. They don't. 
But they don't have to remember because ours don't go directly to HRSA, ours go to the county. And then the county has to add theirs in and then they put them in. But that they tell us so clearly what our, what we're doing is, is a significant improvement um, than what we've been doing. We've done, in the past, we've done a lot of samples instead of looking at everybody. We didn't have the electronic health system in every single clinic. Yeah. When you say expense, you mean like the cost of the services? Yeah. What we spend. So, and that's the difference. I mean, so there's, there's the cost of the service and there's what we spent on the service. And they're not always matching either. So I'm going to give you some examples. So I've tried to break it down as simply as I could with these next examples on, on how, how it works. So let's say these expenses. We are estimating using our UDS data, and we use what we did the last year to say, we think it costs to provide our scope of service about this much, much money. And in this example, I've given you really easy, even numbers just to conceptualize it. So we'll say that it costs us $1,000. That was staff costs. I know that's, it's unrealistic, add lots of zeros. But let's just say it costs $1,000 to provide this service that's our scope. Then we have revenue that's related to that. And that revenue is gonna be specific to these patient encounters. We know that they had Medi-Cal, we build Medi-Cal, we get some money back from that. We know that some of them had um, Medicare, we get some money back from that. And we can see very clearly, this patient came, this is what we build Medi-Cal, is what we got back from Medi-Cal. And let's say that we find out how much money we got back, and in this example that it cost $1,000, we got $400 back for those patients. We provided the services, they cost $1,000. We got $400 back from the people that we built. And that's pretty normal, that, that would, there's, a, there's a gap. Because remember, of these people that cost $1,000, some of them didn't have Medi-Cal, some of them didn't have Medicare, some of them didn't have anything. And we're still providing the service. And so that's where we have the gap. And so then what we have to do from there is we have to find the remaining revenue to cover those expenses. And this is where we go into these other places. We go to Measure A, we have county contract with um, for Health Pack, where they kind of give us these lump sums. They go, here, have this much money, work it out. And they say, you've got to take care of everybody. Hopefully this will cover some of it. And hopefully what you've got covered from other places will help to fill in all of the gaps. And so what we do when we have our actual patients that we count up, we had this many patients in our services, we collected this much on these patients, then we look at how much income came from Measure A, from county contracts, from other federal grant programs, and we just assign a dollar amount that creates the balance. So we would say, well, we took $600 from those other funding sources to create the balance for our healthcare for the homeless program because we have to submit it to HRSA and tell them that it's balanced. Does that make sense? When you're looking at the numbers at Alameda Health System, there's, again, it's not real clean like that. Um, it's not as if that health pack dollar is assigned to that patient. It's just a big pile, I'll call it a big pile of cash. And we go, well, we need 600 of it, so we'll take that. Hopefully, <coughs> everything else happening at the health system, hasn't they have enough. So then, are the expenses per patient, but the money that you're getting from measuring in each pack, that gets allocated as a lump sum, so then you can't allocate it. Exactly. 
not it's not allocated to the specific patient. Now, as we're moving forward with our with Epic, and they're trying to be able to calculate much more clearly and assign all of the dollars. We might see a change in the future as to how each dollar is represented within our system, but this is how we're doing it right now. And what I'm looking at is, um, in our case, even estimating those expenses. When a patient comes to visit, I see that there's one patient. I don't see what it costs to serve that patient. I just see that there's that patient. And then I'm looking at ambulatory care, and I say, well, how many patients were served altogether? Well, if 10 of them were homeless, and 100 of them were not homeless, and it performed the services, it cost 90% to take care of these people, then I'm gonna say it cost 10% to take care of these people. And it's not necessarily true. These 10 people might have cost 50%, and these 90 people only cost, also cost 50%, right? Like, it might not be uh, evenly spread, but when we're, estimating, we're spreading it out really evenly. If we're saying if it was 10% of the population was homeless, we'll take 10% of the ambulatory care budget and say it probably cost about that much um, because right now it's not so clearly connected. Again, with Epic, that may change where we could say, well, this patient experiencing homelessness had this, 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 and this. They cost a lot more and we know exactly how much that particular patient costs. But we don't always have those details. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, not to get into the weeds, but no, we, already, we already know about the federal, I mean, we were talking about the fed, um, the money we get from the feds, mm -hmm. and locally, meaning i.e. the county. Mm -hmm. um, my question is, I see up there um, um, corporate grants. Um, how, uh, how, how are those obtained? Um, do, does the hospital have grant writers that actually write grants to corporations, or uh, how, how are corporate grants um, offered or rewarded the, the program? Well, Alameda Health System has a foundation. It's called the Alameda Health System Foundation. And the Alameda Health System Foundation um, submits grant requests to corporations. They generally have things like capital campaigns or other campaigns that they're specifically working on. There's um, also, they have an employee engagement, um, employee giving program for every, every year as well, where they're um, securing funds from employees working in corporations. So that's their job. And then the system decides how that money is being used or through, it's usually through the development of what is the campaign and why are we raising money and then they've decided that we're raising money for X and then that's what they're raising money for and then it happens. You'll see sometimes that's um, in the, in, it'll be in the news typically they'll announce, I want to say they, they paid, they raised money for an MRI, a big MRI machine recently and that's often through large corporations. They, they go to Kaiser. So Kaiser helps pay for our electronic health records, for example, and that all happens through the foundation. But the decision about how, the, how corporate grant money is used is the same. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure I understand what well, you mean by is the same. Is the same well, as what? Well, I mean, that money, um, the corporate grants that are, that are awarded, mm -hmm. um, those are just absorbed by the general budget and then? No, they're, they're, they might be specific. So they'll have a campaign oh, to say okay. like, we're raising money for the MRI machine, they'll raise money for the MRI machine and they hand it over. Just they think of it as if you have two types of funding, restricted and unrestricted funding that comes directly from the corporate government. And you know, to uh, Heather's point, which is that there's a specific campaign for a specific purpose and those are restricted funding that uh, uh, okay. how you utilize them. Okay. 
budget question. So next month, you'll get to see what we carved out, what it looks like, what we decided, we estimated how much it cost us last year, we estimated where that revenue came from, or in some cases knew where that revenue came from. And then we'll show you what that looks like, um, as well as the contract and the details of that, uh, those expenses that, uh, related to the county contract. Clear? Ready? This is the last bit of our agenda. just like that is really important to hear the second time. I picked up something the second time around that I did not pick up the first time. Yeah. So we'll piggyback off of what she was saying. So, so some of this information presented at the last meeting, I was like, God, it's right over my head. And now, yeah. and now like when you're going over this specific budget part, I was like, oh yeah, I get right. that. Like repetition rule, like the more I hear it, it makes sense. It's Thank you. Yes.